Welcome to the latest podcast from the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health. I'm Jim Dunn. I'm one of the co-editors of the journal. And uh, joining me today is Michelle Taylor from the School of Social and Community Medicine at the University of Bristol. And we're going to talk about her latest paper with her colleagues uh, that is entitled Patterns of Cannabis Use During Adolescence and Their Association with Harmful Substance Use Behavior. And these are findings from a UK birth cohort. You can find the paper at our website, jech.bmj.com. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, this is a really fascinating paper and a very timely topic. And so I wonder if you could tell me about the main findings of the paper. Um, So we use data from the Avon Longitudinal Study of Parents and Children, um, which is situated in the southwest of England. Um, And this is a really great data set because it has data from multiple time points. So we were able to look at cannabis use at six time points across adolescents. Um, And what we found was that 80% um, of adolescents were non-users of cannabis. And of those 20% that did use cannabis, only a small proportion were regular heavy users. Um, However, in these regular heavy users, So that small proportion of regular users were 37 times more likely to be tobacco dependent um, at age 21. They were also 26 times more likely to have used other illicit drugs and three times more likely to have harmful levels of alcohol consumption. Thanks, Michelle. That's an incredibly strong data set. Uh, Probably there aren't many data sets that allow those kinds of questions to be pursued. And those are some fascinating answers about the impacts of different patterns of, uh, of cannabis use in adolescence. So one of the things that you've implied in those results <clears throat> is that you looked at the relationship between cannabis use and then harder drug use at, uh, in early adulthood. Is that an example of the gateway hypothesis? And if so, I wonder if you could tell us more about it. So just to say what the gateway hypothesis is, um, the gateway hypothesis suggests that there is a sequence to drug use. So this starts off um, with the use of licit drugs such as alcohol or tobacco and then moves on down the chain um, onto cannabis use and then onto harder drugs such as cocaine and heroin. Um, So there's a lot of focus um, on cannabis um, in this sequence of drug use. And as I see it, the gateway hypothesis can be observed from three perspectives. That is those who are pro-cannabis use, those who are anti-cannabis use, and then also the science perspective. And I think this is where the controversy generally comes in. Because from the scientific literature, we cannot say whether or not cannabis is a gateway drug yet. Hopefully we will one day. And that leaves it open to a lot of people drawing on their own experiences and very easily pulling the evidence to match what they want it to match. So, for example, you might get somebody say, well, I know somebody who used cannabis for years and they don't take cocaine or heroin. So the gateway hypothesis can't be true. And, you know, other people might have a response that's quite the opposite to that. So people really do draw on their own experiences. But to look at it from the science perspective, um, as I said, we can't yet say whether or not cannabis is a gateway drug. 
Unfortunately, it's not possible for us to do a randomized controlled trial, um, which would be the best way to tell this. Um, but we can't do it for ethical reasons. So it wouldn't be ethical of us to take a group of people who have never used cannabis and randomly assign some of them to use the drug. Um, we just wouldn't be able to do that. Um, so therefore, we need to rely on epidemiological studies um, such as the one um, in this paper that I've talked about and the research that my colleagues and I do. Um, and this, of course, has its limitations. Um, the main limitation being that if we did observe an association between, say, cannabis use um, and other illicit drug use, then we cannot be sure um, if this is because the cannabis use is causing the other drug use or if it's because another factor that influences both behaviours is pulling up that statistical association. So it comes down to that correlation but not causation um, term that we often hear thrown about. So we, we could, we've got evidence for correlation, but we don't know if it's causal. Um, one other thing I'd quite like to point out on the gateway hypothesis is that there are many possible explanations for the observed correlations. And while some of these might be statistical, there are other explanations for why they might be causal. Um, so one might be that cannabis could alter your brain um, in a way that then primes you to take other drugs. But another explanation might be that it's down to drug availability. Um, and this means that if people have to go out and find their cannabis, it's easier to find than other illicit drugs. Um, it has less of a taboo around it than other illicit drugs. So people wouldn't feel as guilty about using that one um, before they progress. Um, but what it does mean that is, especially in countries such as the UK, where it's still illegal um, to take cannabis, is that they have to go and find a dealer um, and this drug dealer might then at some point try and upsell them to other substances, or it means that other substances become more readily, readily available. Um, so if this is the case, then making cannabis more readily available could actually be a way of preventing the progression to harder substances. For me, the main message is that just because there is no solid evidence that cannabis is a gateway drug does not mean that it's not. Um, and we just don't know yet. Uh, there are many researchers that are trying to find it out, and hopefully we will get there. Thanks. Um, I know that one of the things uh, that I certainly hear is that people make the assumption uh, under the gateway hypothesis that cannabis use is an inevitable decline into or sl slide into the use of harder drugs. And, uh, and it sounds like there's certainly no evidence for that. Um, Would that be fair to say? I think, it, I think it's fair to say that there's no evidence as of yet. And I think maybe more research needs to be done. Um, as I said, it, it might be that the associations that we're seeing um, are actually the result of other factors. And if we can try and identify what those other factors are, then we might be able to identify the subgroups of people where cannabis use might actually be the start of the decline. And, and then also know the subgroups of people where cannabis use might not be the start of the decline. And knowing that, we would know where to target our interventions.
Right. Well, thanks for adding some additional clarification there, Michelle. So uh, one of the things that we often hear is, uh, and we associate uh, cannabis use with adolescent boys. Uh, why don't we, I wonder if you could address the issue around uh, gender differences in patterns of cannabis use that you found in your study. As you said, um, we did find a gender difference. Um, so we found that boys were more likely to be regular cannabis users than girls. Um, however, I should point out that we did not see any gender differences when looking at occasional cannabis use. So this was only observed in the regular users. This ties in with some other research from the United States um, that suggests that cannabis use on the whole has greatly increased, but that it's increasing at a much faster rate in boys. So the gender gap is widening. But I think from a scientific point of view, there are two important points to note on this topic. Um, the first is that this gender gap is not just the case for cannabis use. Um, and we see the same gender gap in the use of many other drugs. Um, and secondly, I think it's important to note that females have been very underrepresented in many disciplines, including addiction research. So therefore, we know a lot more about men. And this might be where these thoughts um, that boys or men are more likely to use cannabis come from. So it might not be the case that women are actually using less, but it might be the case that we don't actually know about them. And there could be a scenario where women feel less likely to seek help and therefore less likely to come forward. And that's why we don't know about them because there's more of a stigma around women using these drugs. So yeah, there's an important social dynamic uh, probably to all of this as well. A certain set of social norms that are gendered um, that probably drive a lot of these patterns, I imagine, too. Uh, yes, definitely. And it's, it's certainly something that we need to consider as scientists, is that we need to be aware that women are a group of people that we need to do more research on um, and, and work out exactly what's going on there. Now I want to move a little bit to what are the, the policy implications of, uh, of your findings. So in a number of jurisdictions in the United States uh, recently have now decriminalized or legalized marijuana. Um, the Netherlands has, has had a, a fairly liberal approach to this for a long time. And in Canada, where I'm from, uh, we're approaching this as well, and, and there's going to be some new action on this as well in terms of decriminalization. I wonder if you could talk about the implications of your research and what we know about the effect of decriminalization and or legalization on adolescent cannabis use. Unfortunately, as of yet, there's not actually much to say on that topic. Um, there isn't that much literature out there. And that's because the countries that have legalized or decriminalized um, cannabis or, or some of the states, they haven't done it for long enough for us to actually observe over time what the implications of that are. What we would need to understand um, what the implications are is data from a long time before the legalization happened, but also data for quite a long time after the legalization happened. Because it might be that the sudden impact of legalization is very different from the long-term implications. So it's not something we can answer yet. Um, hopefully in a few more years' time, um, we might see some research coming out on that subject. 
That's great. Well, I think uh, you know the kinds of data that you are using are very powerful, and obviously, there's a, that's a strong case for continuing and expanding the use of such data, particularly in those places that are undergoing these kinds of lead, uh, legislative and, and policy changes. So thanks so much for joining me today, uh, Michelle. I really want to thank you for a, a very insightful perspective on this issue that touches a lot of people and, uh, and certainly concerns a lot of parents. And I just want to direct our listeners to the paper again. It's called Patterns of Cannabis Use during adolescence and their association with harmful substance use behavior, findings from a UK birth cohort. And joining me today was Michelle Taylor from the School of Social and Community Medicine at the University of Bristol. You can find the paper on our website at the Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health at jech.bmj.com. Thanks again, Michelle, and look forward to seeing all of you on our next podcast. <music>